and gents. Welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. It has been a minute. We have had an incredibly busy month, which started with our golf getaway at Pinehurst called The Lily. I cannot talk about it enough. It was a surreal experience seeing groups of women all over the courses, and I can't wait until our next one. If you want to host us, please let me know as well. Um, You can check out our guide and recap at ForTheLadies.net, and I definitely recommend it if you have an upcoming trip there. We have also been finalizing our clinics for 2021. So far, we are headed to, okay, deep breath, Baltimore, D.C., Philly, Jax, Atlanta, San Francisco, San Diego, Toledo, Ohio, Champaign, Illinois, and more. So find all the dates and information at ForTheLadies.net. Sign up, bring your friends, see you there. Lastly, if you don't need a clinic per se, make sure you register for our directory, the For The Ladies T-Sheet. Here you can find and reach out to women in your area to tee it up with. And you can find that also at ForTheLadies.net. Okay, so as many, as you, as many of you know, uh, For The Ladies is a passion project of mine. My full-time job is at the United States Golf Association. And for today's Ladies of Golf episode, I welcomed a coworker. Hillary Kronheim is director of the USGA Golf Museum and Library, where she oversees the execution of the museum's strategic initiatives. So what does that include? Well, everything from leveraging digital media, enhancing access to research collections, and reinforcing its role as the world's leading center for golf scholarship. Hillary has a really fun background. She has worked in some of the nation's leading museums, such as the Art Institute of Chicago and the Frick Collection in New York City. With all of this experience, she shared with us how she came upon the USGA and its museum and why she wanted to work there. We also talk about the storied history of women caring for and communicating golf history. For example, the museum's first curator, Janet Siegel, led the museum from 1963 to 1989, and women have been in leading roles in supporting the museum ever since. So I will let Hillary take it from here, but enjoy the conversation. best no you're gonna be great um how do you pronounce your last name Kronheim like Kronheim that's what I thought Kronheim my maiden name was Smith that was so much easier (laughs) sometimes David will make reservations this is David Smith well some uh somebody asked Brendan the other day they were like are you gonna say like in your Instagram profile that you're Mr. Liebenthal (laughs) or Mr. Mr. Liebs and he was like, obviously. Right. Yes. Very supportive. Okay. So with all of our ladies of golf series, we start with our quick nine questions. So you don't have to like explain yourself. You just give the answer. Rapid fire. Okay. Um, yes. So the last book you read. Ron Turnow's biography of Hamilton. Oh, nice. Last podcast you listened to. Um, NPR's Hidden Brain podcast. Mm. The last show you binge watched. Ooh, uh, it's a tie between okay. Brown and Emily in Paris. <laughs> Both four. I, I think I watched Emily in Paris a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's been your surprisingly favorite activity during quarantine? So not surprising for people who know me, but needle pointing, the big needle pointer. So that's really uh, ramped up a lot during quarantine Ooh. for sure. We'll, we'll have to have an offline conversation about needle pointing. Excellent. Um, do you prefer the driving range or playing nine? Playing nine every time. Okay. Your favorite artist. Oh gosh. It's like asking me. I know. Child. 
I, I'm going to be broad in general here. I would say artists from the 15th to 17th century in the low countries in the Netherlands. So I cover all my men and women in that period. Sorry, that was not a... No, I, I like that. That That's specific. I mean, it, I think for a person who doesn't know art very well, that's yeah. just specific enough. Think of the era of um, Vermeer or Franz Hals, kind of that era. Okay. Um, we're going to get more into the art. So you just wait. And then your most memorable golf experience, it can be playing, it can be watching. I would say uh, the last round of golf I played with my dad, um, which is in May, 2019 at Chicago golf club. And he could, it's funny, he could barely walk, but he was so excited to be there and had the time of his life and passed away a little more than a year later. So it was a pretty, pretty sweet time. Okay. That's so nice. What would you say? I mean, I'm making you pick again, your favorite piece of history in the USGA museum. Boy, I would say, um, the trophies and everything in the hall of champions and just everything that that symbolizes. Um, the trophies are our best artifacts for sure. And they tell the best stories. Love it. Okay. Let's start at the beginning. So did you play other sports growing up or what were your activities? Yeah, I had a pretty active and lively childhood when I was young. I was very interested in the arts. So um, very interested in music. I played the piano. I played the clarinet. I was always singing and dancing. Um, Very interested in musical theater. So that still translates today. I have like a slight Broadway obsession, but table that for another time. Um, And then in terms of sports, I played mostly racket sports. So tennis and squash and uh, paddle, platform tennis, paddle. Um, I grew up in Chicago, paddle's huge in Chicago. Um, And played that kind of through most of, sort of through college. So golf was not even on my radar. (laughs) Yeah, well, and of course I was, you know, curious. I saw that you did pick up the sport later in life. So who introduced you to golf in the first place? Sad to say it's my now husband um, who introduced me to golf. Um, Around 2008 was when I started to get interested in the game and my parents were starting to get interested in in family. And I was down, one of my earliest memories of playing golf with him actually was down at Duke for graduate school. And he was visiting his brother who was playing in the US Amateur at Pinehurst in 2008. And he came to watch his brother and visit me and we played at the Washington Duke and I told him I was like I'm a pretty good golfer like I shoot about a hundred for sure which was a total lie I mean I probably picked up a golf club like two or three times yeah and he of course is like very patient and fun but he'd grown up in a family um grown up with golf around him and playing at an early age and I just I, I just caught the bug um I found it very so frustrating <laughs> Yeah, and I think that was very puzzling to me. Um, very interesting. I loved that it was very analytical and required a lot of concentration and that your sort of circumstances changed every time. And I just, I, I haven't gone back. I played, I played a lot through graduate school and then here I am. It's interesting. I think some women pick up the game and they have the same experience as you where they're like, I'm hooked. Like I need to continue to do it. Um, And then there's other women who like really enjoyed their time out there, but they may not, they may not go again. Right. So what did you do, especially since you learned as an adult, what did you do so that you like would continue to go back to the course and play? You know, I just kept 
kept playing. Like I, I said, I much prefer playing than going to the driving range. Like I, I didn't really practice a lot. Like I got better through playing and through practicing and just experiencing, you know, the pains of hitting out of a bunker, or yeah. pains of putting or things and just being in different situations. And I always love traveling, you know, going to beautiful places and, um, I think it was also an escape, you know, I was in a very intense, like academic environment. So it was a bit okay. out, a very kind of insular, you know, focused. It was a way for me to kind of get outside, get some exercise. I mean, I've always, always walked and carried my bag. So it was a bit of a um, sort of therapeutic thing for me to, to do that. And it just, it stuck and it's, yeah. it has to this day. So, well, and on top of that, you now work for the United States Golf Association. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to hear about your experience with art and being an art historian. And I think before we even get into it, would you mind sharing, like, what does it mean to be an art historian? Sure. So broadly, art historians um, are people who research and interpret the creation of art. Um, there's a bit of a misconception that if you're an art historian, that you create art. I absolutely do not create, create art. Um, I wish I could. And I, that's my needlepoint. I just, I wish I could dabble in art, but I, I don't. So there is a bit of a divide between um, fine artists and art historians. So art historians study all the different circumstances under which art emerged. So social history, economic history, cultural history, religious history, and the context that comes with that creation, whether it's painting, sculpture, architecture. Um, and I was always really interested in that. Um, you know, I, I grew up from a very early age going to museums and I was always, always the kid who had the audio guide at any museum, not only art museums, always loved going to, you know, historic homes or science museums or history okay. state museums. Um, it kind of, it was, it was definitely a passion early on for me. Um, yeah. so I knew I was always going to land in a museum. Certainly didn't think it was going to be a golf museum, <laughs> but um, the, the art history is so interesting because it's so interdisciplinary. Like, of course, you're studying a piece of art and that process, but you're also understanding and studying those circumstances under which those things emerged. I love that. And, and right, because I mean, for, for somebody who's going to a museum, you go, you look, you read the little placard and you may get enough out of it, but there's so much more that goes into it. There's so there. much, there's so much more to it than that. And all the yeah. and the time that uncovers, you know, um, that person's artistic creation and, and the circumstances under that. Um, and, and the time period I studied in particular became very interesting to me um, and just kind of kept me going. So you said you didn't think you would, or you didn't predict that you would end up at the United States Golf Association. Um, what, what did you think you were going to do? I thought I was for sure going to end up in a museum, an art, okay. an art museum. That was my, you know, I was pretty focused on that. Even in high school, I wrote, I went to school at Lawrenceville, which is not far from here in Princeton. When I was a sophomore at Lawrenceville, in my free time, I would go to the Princeton Library and I was writing a Princeton art, a student's gallery guide for the Princeton Art Museum. And I was spending my free time doing this. So I knew very early on 
know this is for sure what I'm going to do. Um, I knew that in high school and I knew it when I went to Cornell, I studied art history and I studied every period in time you could imagine. I studied prehistoric art, Islamic art, decorative art, modern and contemporary art, and kind of honed in on this um, early modern period. So 15 to 1800, essentially European art. And then I went right to graduate school <laughs> right away because I knew if I wanted to work in a museum, I had to go pursue an advanced degree and, and did that. So I thought I was on a one-way kind of track towards um, art history. And you know what? It turned out the funny thing is that museums are my love. And I believe me, I still love art. spent a lot of time in art museums, but I just became captivated a bit by golf and the sport and its history. And I think it was a time in my life where I was ready and excited for something new, a new subject matter, a new challenge. I knew nothing about the, I knew nothing about the USGA. I hadn't even heard of it when I started playing golf or the history. So it was exciting to, to sort of discover that. Yeah. So if you don't mind diving into how did you discover that the USGA has this massive historical presence um, in, in itself as an organization, but also in collecting history and sharing it? So I was at that time, this was around 2008 or nine, 2008, nine, 10. I was um, living, uh, living abroad in France, working on my dissertation and came back to New Jersey for the summer to live with my then boyfriend, now husband. And I was starting to look for jobs like in the area, starting to like think about what would I do after graduate school and what would my job be? And at that time I was starting to be interested in golf. So I was, you know, poking around and um, we were living in Summit, which is not far away. And so, you know, I don't know if it was David who introduced me to the USGA museum or something, but I started Googling it. And the first thing that struck me was that the director was this person named Rand Jarris and Rand had a PhD in art history. And I was wow. like, well, that's really interesting. And his PhD is in medieval art and architecture. So even, probably more far removed from golf than my, my area. So I thought that's really, that's really kind of interesting. So that, I didn't know Rand at the time, of course, but that kind of piqued my curiosity that, oh, someone with a PhD in art history can do something, you know, in golf maybe, or work in another museum. And then I actually applied for an internship here at the museum in 2010. Um, I did not get it. <laughs> I don't know if they weren't giving internships at the time or if I wasn't the lucky candidate, but um, I didn't get it. But I always kept my eye on the USGA. Then I, when I learned a little bit more about it, I knew I was not qualified for anything except what's in this building, knowing what I know now. Like I didn't have the golf, other golf skills. So I sort of kept my eye on the museum until the right opportunity came and eventually it came along. What, what was that opportunity? The, there was an opportunity to oversee the library. So to be a special collections librarian. And the focus was to sort of oversee and manage this world's largest golf library. And I was like, wow, that's cool and fun. Totally like a nerdy, you know, I've lived my whole life in libraries. <laughs> I can do this. Um, so I sort of took a chance and applied thinking there's no way I'm gonna get this job. I don't know anything about golf. I know plenty about, you know, I didn't have a degree in library science. Um, 
I'd spend enough time in libraries and archives and knew about caring for collections, but I, I didn't know anything. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of interested in golf. I've got this really inter interesting interdisciplinary background, a lot of economic history and data, data visualization and analysis and all these. I, I may or may not have spinned my cover letter in a way that was like, I can do this. Right. Maybe sort of convincing myself. Um, it worked. I mean, the goal was to kind of bring the library more into the digital age. So I think some of it, I was a bit the right person at the right time. Um, you know, in my, in my artistry career, I was a bit non-traditional in terms of being very cross-disciplinary. So I studied a lot of economics, a lot of statistics, a lot of data visualization, which art historians don't do really. I think of them as kind of focused on one artist or one um, period in time, but I studied the art market. So that the period that I studied involved the art market and those interdisciplinary pieces. So I think that helped me ultimately get the job. And, yeah. Um, so I came and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have like this aha or wow moment early on, especially if you were kind of new to the sport? What, what moment were you like, oh, this is, this is what I like love now. I'm here for the long haul. <laughs> You know, I don't know if there was one moment. I mean, the library is the untold secret of the golf world, for yeah. sure. It is the best. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so I think just the four years that I spent there just uncovering and learning about, you know, not only the club history, all the different clubs that are all over the world and the club histories, but that, wow, there are people who write, you know, golf cookbooks and golf comic books. We have this amazing sheet music collection. The golf is something like art sort of that transcends culture and is a part of cultural history. I think I had this misconception of golf as a sport and you know the, the library kind of brings that out, right? Shows the different ways in which golf has sort of permeated life. You know, we have huge, I would sit and read some of the novels about golf for the mysteries and the plays and I think just having that experience I was like well this is the coolest thing ever. it didn't feel like a job you know it felt yeah. like a little weird to sort of sit down and read books I'm like this is what I'm supposed to be doing um so that was that was really fun I enjoyed that and you are no longer just with the library what what have you kind of evolved into I'm no longer just with the library yeah I was in, in charge of the library for four years and um, in April of 2019, I was promoted to director of the museum. So now oh, I oversee all different aspects of the museum. So technically I, I the library still counts <laughs> and that's where my home will be, but also the care for the other collections, all of our um, public programs that we do, the visitor services operations when people come to the museum, um, all of our digital initiatives and our research and scholarship efforts. So I wear many more different hats now. Um, and that's been good. I had a lot of good experiences in different parts of museums during my career, which was good. It sort of helped prepare me for this. So I wasn't diving fully blind into it, which is good. Although sometimes I feel like I am. Um, don't know I was quite ready for it, but. Um, it's fun. It's been fun. Yeah. What were, not to take a step backward, but what were some of the experiences before you came to the museum in regards to like roles that you held? 
So I worked in a variety of museums, mostly art museums in Chicago and New York and held positions in, you know, everything from visitor services. So selling tickets and showing people around the Art Institute to, I worked in the um, education and family programs department. So putting together sort of scavenger hunts for kids and doing that stuff, which was really fun. And then I um, worked with the registrar for a while. The registrars manage incoming and outgoing loans of artwork. So that's really detail oriented and fun. And eventually sort of rose into a cura more curatorial role where you're actually researching and writing some of the works of art, um, which is sort of, you know, some would say it could be like the pinnacle or the most exciting part, um, just because you're mostly hands-on with the artwork. Okay. And spent a lot of time mostly with paintings and prints and drawings, which was just fantastic um, at the Art Institute and at the Frick Collection in New York, which is probably one of the highlights. And then um, spent some time also as an undergrad teaching undergraduates art history. That was a really humbling experience. I have so much respect for teachers. I learned that about myself. It was so hard. It was very difficult, you know, teaching them the survey of art history from 1450 to the present, um, and then some seminars on the history of art markets and things like that. And then later on, closer to the time I came to the USGA, I um, worked in the art market world a bit. So I worked for a strategic fine arts consulting firm um, and for ArtNet, their price database is more kind of niche and really art market things. Yeah, yeah. I think at, you guys, all of you at the USGA Museum and and at museums across the world, you guys have such a unique skill set that you're able to absorb so much information and then regurgitate it in a way that's really presentable to the general public. Um, I would love to talk about your team at the USA Museum sure. as there are a lot of women there. What I, I would love to learn, like learn more about what is that skill set that you guys really have that you're able to you know, study materials and absorb it all and, you know, reflect on it and then regurgitate it. Like what, how does that come to life? I think, you know, people are shocked a little bit to hear that this golf museum is run by a bunch of ladies. Um, also because there are, of course, this, mis this misconception, particularly with golf history, that this is you know, you picture a golf historian as sort of an older man sitting pontificating about golf history. With a pipe. When, with, with a pipe, exactly. <laughs> when our historian, Victoria, is a young, vibrant, brilliant person. You know, so there's that aspect. But also, I think I always tell people we are museum professionals first. Mm -hmm. That's our passion. And that's what drives us. We're interested in um, history, cultural history, the human experience. And we have a lot of different experiences in that. You know, we're trained in history, museum studies, library studies, women's studies, and kind of coming together with golf as our subject matter. So I think it's our just kind of collective minds and the way that we're trained to do that, to sort of have those skills. We also are tremendously collaborative, um, which I think is on both a personal and a professional level, you know, we have a deep respect for each other and the different life experiences that we've had. Um, and we range, you know, in, in parts of our career from advanced in our career to just getting started to some of us have children, some of us don't, and, you know, all kind, sort of everywhere in between. And I think ultimately we have a tremendous respect 
for the collection that we're in charge of yeah. in our care. And that drives everything that we do, you know, we're, and we're unwavering in that. And sometimes <laughs> it puts us in um, unpopular positions or to make unpopular decisions about where we can or cannot take an artifact. But at the end of the day, we're committed to that. And also we're committed as historians to telling diverse stories from diverse perspectives. Um, that's also something that I think is of tremendous value to us. Yeah, you bring a different perspective than if it was a different group of people. Do you, is this unique? Is it unique that an entire staff, not an entire necessarily, but a large number of staff is female in, in the museum and art world or is this unique? Um, not, it's not unique. I mean, it's, it's fairly common that the uh, people in charge of the collection or the curatorial aspects will be mostly female. Uh -huh. um, you have men in, you know, lots of different, you often have men in leadership roles. <laughs> um, some men working in curatorial teams or working kind of as a, as a preparator on the more facilities technical side. Um, but it's not, not really unique in the museum world to have have a full group of ladies. Yeah, but it would it's unique in golf, right? It's unique yes. to have an overwhelmingly large group of women. And particularly here, you know, the, I cannot tell you the number of times something comes across my desk or an email where we'll get, you know, dear Hillary, Tara, and Rosemary, which are three feminine names, dear gentlemen, or like they'll be addressed to, you know, the three of us, dear gentlemen, or Mr. Director or Mr. Curator, um, that's that's the world we live in a bit in golf. So we get that a lot, and um, are always happy to happy to send a shot across the bow. Yeah, how do you guys um, curate what is collected at the museum? Do people, you know, I've seen things like Mickey Wright. You guys were sent to her home to go through and collect items, but that I'm assuming that's not always the case. No, we would love that to be the case for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, we, so about 90% of the museum's collection is grown through do donations. So through opportunities like that, um, it, through champions, um, other players, golf administrators, people in the industry, um, collectors who see kind of the museum as, um, you know, we have the facilities and the infrastructure and the skills to be able to take care of these things. Um, more and more often now we buy things at auction or through mm -hmm. private sale. Um, so we do have an acquisitions budget. Um, we never have enough money. More families now, more players' families are taking things to auction as opposed to having a conversation with the museum first. Or it used to, there used to be a time where, you know, we could arrange perhaps a private sale if the family wanted to sell between us and the player, but um, the golf memorabilia market is insane at the moment. Um, oh. In fact, as we're talking, there's a there's a Payne Stewart, a golf auction uh, is auctioning off some of Payne Stewart's memorabilia. And last time I checked, his 1999 US Open contestant badge was at $14,000. Um, just people who want kind of a tangible piece of that history and, and the museum often can't compete with that. Um, so uh, I would say a mix of different ways um, through auction, kind of private sale and um, always, always those great donations and champions like Mickey who, um, you know, who know us and our institution and how we're going to care for their legacy. 
Yeah. And you guys have certainly been exposed to different locations and being able to go on certain trips to collect items. And then you also go to championships to then share that history with players competing in championships like the U S open or otherwise. Um, and I know you have done that before. Um, when was, I think it was the last time Pebble. Yes. Can you That's share like a lifetime ago? Oh, you I mean know. when we used to go out and see people in person? Rosie and I were talking about that too. Remember when we used to take artifacts on the road and we would show them to people? Yeah. Yeah. I um that was one of the highlights of my life for sure. You know, in my role, I don't um, deal with players too much. I, of course, watch watch golf and engage with golf, but I don't deal one-on-one with players. So we had this opportunity to bring some artifacts to the reunion of champions at Pebble Beach in 2019, which was this um, reunion with 33 of the 36 living US Open champions. So we're set up in this Pebble Beach beach club and I'm standing inside. I'm of course like very composed, but I'm like watching the US Open champions go by and like, there goes Tom and there goes Jack and there goes Tiger and there goes Gary and inside I'm like, oh my God, how am I gonna keep it together? Cause it was really, I was like, I'm just a weird, like music. I like being behind the scenes. Sure. Um, but one of the coolest experiences I had was I got to chat with Rory McIlroy for quite a bit and show him the 1896 U S open medal. And he's very interested in history and Martin Keimer and, um, it, and Jeff Ogilvy. It was so fun. It was cool. And I think for them to be able to have sort of a tangible piece of U S open history, that was pretty fun highlight for me for sure. Yeah, I think it's a really cool experience that you guys bring to the table is, of course, people should come to the museum in New Jersey and explore it when, you know, when we can again, but it's also very fun when somebody walks in and they have like a special case and you know, something important is in there. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. One of my, you know, one of the things that was so tough about 2020 is after we'd done that at Pebble Beach, we thought we really want to do this at the U S open on a bigger scale. We want to do it for fans and that's right. Bring the artifacts out. So we had, we had planned this um, U S open history experience in 2020. Um, and this was going to be monumental for the museum too. Cause we don't normally do this kind of thing. It's we've sort of done it previously. If a corporate partner wants to do it, this was kind of the first time that we were going to take this big show on the road and then COVID hit. And I was like, oh my God. And I hope, I just, I keep hoping that we can do that again because to be able to take that stuff to our US Opens, you know, is is so important and be able to share it. And people love it. People love it. Yeah, I saw a lot of blueprints for that and it was going to be beautiful. So it was be great. So we, we, will, you can be we will try. We won't let it die, right? We're not I will, we will not let it die. Excellent. We'll just keep Excellent. bringing it up. Thank you. Good. <laughs> um, so I would love to just ask you, and I don't know if you'll have a good a happy answer at all, but you have this art history background and it was interesting to hear you talk about circumstance and why artists are doing what they do. And then we have golfers who are also a kind of an art form because it's strategic and you have to decide what you want to do. How do you think playing golf and creating art, like, do they align at all? Is there similar mindsets in any regard? I think I can say this from the perspective of not an artist. <laughs> um, well, I'll say a couple of things. First of all, 
we, I would encourage people to see and look at the recent exhibit that Rand curated on the art of the golf course, which was one of the first exhibits that talked about how visual artists use the golf course as their subject matter and the ways in which similar elements of art, sort of texture, line, and color come out in a golf course. So I'm just going to do a little plug for that exhibit at that exhibit right now. But I think for me as a golfer, I think of things as in individual strokes. Maybe that's because after I finish a bad stroke, I want to forget one or I want to think about the next one. But I sort of think individual shot to individual shot, just in the same way, um, you know, I guess the closest thing I could equate it to is needle pointing, you know, one stitch after another, just, or painting one brush stroke after another. And it's kind of this collective whole where you end up creating an experience or creating a hole or a round. I think there's a similarity in that way. Um, the sort of focus that comes from just coming on one, focusing on one shot at a time. That's probably the best correlation I could come up with. I don't think you're gonna get better than that for me. Nope, I, it was kind of an out there thought, but I was just curious. So thanks for, for answering sure. it. <laughs> um, so before we end, I have two like kind of advice questions. One of which is if a student or a young aspiring person is interested in following in your path or whether it's at the golf museum or it's just becoming an art historian in general, what, what advice would you give them? I would say don't leave any door closed. Um, there's, there's no traditional path. Um, I think there's a traditional path, but there's not. Um, the, the study of art history can lead you to a lot of different things. I know art historians who are lawyers, who are doctors, who work in entertainment, who do all different kinds of things. Um, so I think being open-minded to what's ahead of you and not being too focused. Um, you know, in graduate school, there was such a, um, you were sort of on the track to be a professor, right? That was the, that was sort of the lane, the swim lane that I was put into. And I think I benefited from saying, no, I don't really want to do that. I want to do some other different things. So I would say being open-minded to what you're, to what you're doing for sure. Love it. And what advice do you have for young professional women who want to pick up golf? Just start and keep at it. It gets easier. It gets more fun. Um, play with your family, play with your friends, play at night, play in the morning, whenever you can chip, putt, whatever, just get started. It's, it's so fun and you'll never regret it. Um, it's, you can, you can start playing with your own children. My daughter had a putter in her hand at one year old and it's, a, it's a great sport, you know, to be able to play with your child who's one and your grandfather and there's no sport like it. And I'd say just get started. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For the Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at fortheladies. That's F-O-R-E.